Welcome to Music for Life, exploring the purpose and value of music to humanity's enrichment. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is a recording of Christopher Hogwood conducting the Academy of Ancient Music with solo violinists Christopher Hirons, Monica Huggett, and Catherine McIntosh, performing the third movement of a concerto for three violins by Johann Sebastian Bach. The number three has been a preferred ensemble size for many great compositions, and today on Music for Life, we will explore some of the great trio repertoire of music history. In our Sounds of Scripture segment, we will discuss a powerful trio in biblical times and its impact throughout the centuries. And in our Classroom Corner segment, we will discuss the value of technical exercises based on the intervals of a third. All this and more on today's episode of Music for Life, Music for Trios. This season, we have been exploring some of the great instrument groupings throughout music history. We've already discussed the great solo repertoire of history from instruments that usually were not heard completely solo, and we've looked at the great pairings of history. Today, let's explore compositions that combine three instruments together. Many elements of music come in threes. Some of the fundamental building blocks of harmony are based on what we call thirds. That means if I call this note one, then this is note three. 
and the distance between those notes is called a third. Another third above that would be this note. And when those three notes, a third apart, are played simultaneously, we have a triad, sometimes called a chord, which can be considered the fundamental harmonic component of much of the music we're familiar with. Another element of music that comes in threes is form. Some pieces are commonly written in what's called ternary form, or three-part form. That means a movement or a piece of music will have three sections, perhaps three contrasting sections, but more commonly three sections where the first and third are essentially identical and the middle section is contrasting, what we call ABA form. But in addition to threes showing up in harmonic ways or in terms of form, we would also see threes commonly in the form of music ensembles, trios. We also see this favoring of the number three as far back as biblical times. For that, let's first have our Sounds of Scripture segment where we survey the Bible's many references to music for a longer sweeping historical perspective on our episode's theme. The Bible mentions thirds in a unique passage that we discussed on a recent episode. Shortly after David slew the giant Goliath, a victory song was sung in his honor, which can be found in 1 Samuel 18.6. These verses read, And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. The phrase instruments of music is literally thirds in Hebrew. This could mean that the women were using a triangle or triangular-shaped instrument in their song. I suppose this is another way the number three shows up in music, the shape of the instrument. But it also may refer to them singing in the consonant intervals that we call a third today. We've shown on this program how the Hebrews had a word for octave that even implied a space of eight notes. So it's not that much of a stretch to think that they would have called our third the same thing in their language. In fact, the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet is called gimel, an ancient English word used to describe singing in harmony, particularly notes that are a third away from the melody, is gimel, G-Y-M-E-L. We've talked before on this program about the cultural similarities between the Hebrews and the British Isles, this linguistic-slash-musical link being a most interesting one. You can hear more about this on our episode called The Celtic Influence. One other significant presence of the number three in the Bible's musical references is an actual trio of musicians. The musicians were three men most remembered for administering the musical functions of King David's reign. This trio is mentioned during the reigns of four kings of the monarchy under David, as pertained to the establishment of the Ark of the Covenant at Jerusalem, under Solomon, as their families led the musical performances at the dedication of the first temple, and under both Hezekiah and Josiah hundreds of years later when both kings restored the temple service after the pattern established by this trio. Let's examine each of those briefly. There are two passages of scripture during the reign of King David that show how heavily this trio served under his administration. First, we see them when the Ark of the Covenant is being brought back to Jerusalem. The first time David had tried this, it ended up in disaster. When he realized he had to get the Levites involved, his second attempt to bring this important symbol to the nation's capital was far more successful. He left much of the job of appointing participants in the procession to the Levites themselves. First Chronicles 15.17 says that the Levites appointed Haman the son of Joel, and of his brethren Asaph the son of Berechiah, and of the sons of Merari their brethren Aphon the son of Cushiah. 
We know from other passages this Haman was the grandson of the prophet and judge Samuel. The passage continues to show how all the musicians were used. Verse 19 specifically shows this. So the singers, Haman, Asaph, and Athan, were appointed to sound with cymbals of brass. So not only were they given a role with the cymbals, they are also noted as singers. Of the three, Asaph eventually takes an eminent role, as the next chapter shows us. Verse 37 of that chapter says Asaph was left with his staff by the ark, while the other two were assigned to the tabernacle at Gibeon, which verse 42 shows us. It shows us that the latter two were adept at playing trumpets also, and it reveals that Athan's name had been changed to Yeduthan, meaning praising. Later in 1 Chronicles 25.1, we read of how the families of this trio served under David. Moreover, David and the captains of the host separated to the service of the sons of Asaph and of Haman and of Yeduthun, who should prophesy with harps, with psalteries, and with cymbals. Verses 2, 3, and 4 name the family members of each of these three and their specific musical functions. Verse 6 summarizes, All these were under the hands of their father for song in the house of the eternal, with cymbals, psalteries, and harps, for the service of the house of God, according to the king's order to Asaph, Yeduthun, and Haman. This trio is mentioned again during the reign of David's son Solomon. Just as Solomon had the plans and funds to build the temple, he also had the pattern of musical organization from his father. But at this time, the trio doesn't appear to be alive. Nevertheless, their influence is still felt through their families. We've talked a fair bit about the musical spectacle that the first temple's dedication was. Let's just pick up this one verse about those who participated. Second Chronicles 5.12 reads, Also the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph, of Haman, of Yeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them a hundred and twenty priests sounding with trumpets. And hundreds of years later, after the death of this trio, during the reign of Hezekiah, Second Chronicles 29, 13-14, show that he favored the descendants of this Levitical trio when repairing the temple and restoring its functionality. And in the reign of Josiah, we see this about the temple restoration in Second Chronicles 35, 15. And the singers, the sons of Asaph, were in their place, according to the commandment of David, and Asaph and Haman and Yeduthun the king's seer. Centuries later, the pattern established by David and his mighty trio of musical leaders is restored under the reign of Josiah. The chronicler not only immortalized what David had set up, but what this trio had helped him to establish. Whether or not Asaph, Haman, and Yeduthun actually performed often together as an ensemble, this musical trio, from an administrative standpoint, had much to do with Israel's cultural influence on the region of that day. Each of them had at least one composition canonized in the book of Psalms, and their influence extended throughout the nation long after the death of King David. This has been Sounds of Scripture. You are listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. In today's episode, we are exploring the great trio repertoire of music history in an episode I've simply titled Music for Trios. As we begin our discussion of standard music history, we look at the Baroque era first. In this era, you'll find a genre of composition known as a trio sonata. As its title suggests, it's written for a grouping of three instruments, usually two solo-like treble instruments and a bass instrument. However, as you may recall from our discussion of Baroque music, the bass instrument was always paired with a keyboard instrument to reinforce the harmonic structure of the music, a pairing called the basso continuo. 
Since the basso continuo is, in practice, two instrumentalists, this pair plus the other two soloists would make most trio sonatas consist of four people total, so it's not a trio in the truest form, that is, in the way we're discussing trios today. Bach even wrote some trio sonatas for organ, where all three elements were squeezed into one instrument, or he combined these elements into two instruments. So these are not trios in the sense of our discussion either. But it does show the fondness that composers of this time period had for the number three. Often arias, or songs inside an opera or oratorio, were in that ternary form we discussed earlier, an A section, then a contrasting B section, then back to the original A section. A work that featured a solo instrument juxtaposed with an orchestra was called a concerto, and these usually consisted of three movements, a fast movement, a slow movement, and then a fast movement. And then sometimes composers wrote concertos that featured three instruments, what we'd call today a triple concerto. At the top of the program, we heard some of a delightful concerto Bach wrote for three violins. And we're going to hear plenty of string music today. So let's hear a concerto by Georg Philipp Telemann that features three trumpets. This concerto has four movements, an introduction movement, then a fast movement, slow movement, and then a fast movement. And we'll hear the last one. This is a recording with trumpeters Maurice André, Bernard Gabel, Guy Touvron, and the chamber orchestra of Jean-François Payard.
We just heard a concerto for three trumpets in a recording with Maurice-André Bernard Gabel and Guy Touvron as trumpeters with the chamber orchestra of Jean-François Payard. As we move into the classical era, we see a formation of some trios that start to last for a long time. The most common trio is that of a violin, cello, and piano. Beethoven even wrote a triple concerto for this trio of instruments to be featured alongside a large orchestra. But I want to save the discussion for this particular grouping of instruments for later in the program. There are some serenades by Beethoven that feature three instruments. This is the lovely serenade in D major, opus 8, for violin, viola, and cello. It's in five movements, and we're going to hear the second movement, which is a minuet, or a triple meter dance, to keep in our tribute to threes today. And minuets at this time were almost always in three sections, the first and last being the same, and the middle section called the trio being a contrasting section. So that's a lot of threes. Interestingly enough, when composers started adding this middle section to the minuets, they originally reduced the orchestration of the movement to just three instruments, so this middle section had considerably thinner orchestration and was easy to identify as the contrasting middle section. However, now these trio sections of minuets and similar movements don't have anything to do with the number of instruments playing, unless, of course, it's in a trio like this one. Here is the Grumio Trio performing the minuet movement of Beethoven's Serenade for String Trio. You are listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. 
Today's episode is titled Music for Trios, and in it we are exploring the great trio repertoire of music history. We just heard the Grumio Trio performing the second movement of Beethoven's Serenade for String Trio in D. The Minuet movement is a triple meter dance in three sections, the first and last being identical, and the contrasting middle section being called a trio of all things, as I explained before we heard that. This particular minuet has a little coda or tail to indicate the approaching end of the movement. Beethoven uses purely pizzicato or plucked strings to finish off the charming movement. As we move into the Romantic era, I want to talk about one of the more common trios in the standard repertoire. It's called a piano trio. But it's not a trio of pianos, rather a trio that includes piano. Piano trio almost always implies piano, violin, and cello. These were composed in the classical era, but some of their greatest creations were in the Romantic era. The Piano Trio in B by Johannes Brahms is one of my favorite pieces of all time. Piano trios were usually in four movements, a moderately fast movement, a slow movement, a lively dance-like or scherzo-like movement, which I've explained on previous programs, and the movement to which the minuet was a precursor, and then a fast finale movement. I want to play the scherzo movement of this trio, which Brahms makes the second movement out of the four. Not only is this three instruments, this is in that quick three-beat-per-bar pattern. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Plus, this is the standard ternary form that most minuet or scherzo movements were, just like the Beethoven serenade movement we just heard. You'll hear a sprightly, somewhat mischievous first section, followed by a lush, lyrical middle section, the trio section, again, the name for the contrasting middle section of a minuet or scherzo, and then back to the first section. This is a wonderful recording by the Eroica Trio.
That was the second movement, or the scherzo movement, of Brahms' piano trio in B, performed by the Eroica Trio. I could play tons more Romantic-era piano trios, but in the interest of balance and time, I won't. I will say, though, that if you liked that, the two piano trios by Felix Mendelssohn are equally as marvelous. We haven't heard anything from vocalists yet on this episode, so let's hear a trio of voices. Giuseppe Verdi wrote a gorgeous trio to end his opera Aida, It's set in ancient Egypt. Radames is a victorious warrior who has gifted the hand of the pharaoh's daughter, Amneris, in marriage. The trouble is, he's in love with Aida, Amneris' slave. And of course, Aida is the daughter of the rival king of Ethiopia. So that's not good. Eventually, this leads to Radames being found out, accused of treason, and sentenced to death. Which brings us to the final scene. The stage is set in upper and lower levels to portray the tomb Radames is locked in to die. Of course, Aida has hidden herself there too to be with him in death. We'll join the music about at this point. They embrace and start to say goodbye. You can hear the choir in the distance pronouncing judgment. But what makes this vocal duet a trio is Amneris enters above them and lies prostrate on the stone that is sealing the vault. She sings, praying that he finds peace. Gently, Aida dies in Radame's arms in the tomb below, depicted by the final strains of the high strings, and you will hear Amneris repeating the Italian word pace, which means peace, over and over as the curtain closes. You can distinguish the roles by the voice types. Radames is a tenor, sung in this recording by Franco Corelli. Aida is a soprano, sung by Birgit Nilsson. And Amneris is a mezzo-soprano, sung by Grace Bunbury. So Aida will sing higher, and Amneris will sing lower. With the orchestra and chorus of the Rome Opera Theater, conducted by Zubin Mehta. You may want to get your tissues, folks. This is High Drama, the trio from the end of Verdi's Aida.
the final trio of Giuseppe Verdi's opera Aida, featuring the title character sung by Birgit Nilsson as she dies in the arms of the leading male role for the production, Radames, sung by Franco Corelli. And completing the trio and the love triangle is Omneris, sung by mezzo-soprano Grace Bumbry. We heard Zubin Mehta conducting the orchestra and chorus of the Rome Opera Theatre. As we move into the 20th century, I want to play another unique grouping of three instruments, this one for wind instruments, the Pastoral for Oboe, Clarinet, and Bassoon by Darius Mio. Darius Mio, that last name, M-I-L-H-A-U-D, Mio, lived from 1892 to 1974 and was one of the members of a group of early 20th century composers called Les Six, or The Six. He is well known for the development of polytonality in music, the use of different keys simultaneously. He simplified his works later in his career while still maintaining and exploring this style. As a result of this technique, Mio's music sounds dissonant, but still maintains a lyrical quality. He wrote over 400 works, including radio and film scores, symphonies, choral works, a two-piano suite, chamber music, and 18 string quartets. Again, Mio was a member of Les Six, a group of young composers famous for opposing the music of France's past. But Mio's pastoral actually defies the aggressive preaching of Les Six and reveals the composer's roots in music of the past, his interest in folk songs and French Baroque composers. This piece is like a miniature prelude and fugue where the oboe takes the lead role. The mood and atmosphere of the piece is described in the title, Pastoral. We are hearing a recording of David Theodore on oboe, Roger Fallows on clarinet, and Robert Jordan on bassoon.
That was Pastoral, a trio by Darius Mio for oboe, clarinet, and bassoon with David Theodore, Roger Fallows, and Robert Jordan, respectively, in that recording. Another example of a trio from the 20th century and a fantastic example is Dmitry Shostakovich's Piano Trio Number no. 2. Shostakovich wrote this piece after the death of a longtime friend and colleague, Ivan Solertinsky. This piece pays tribute to Solertinsky and memorializes this sad event in Shostakovich's life. A bitter blow for me, he called the death of this friend. Shostakovich said, I owe all my education to him. It will be unbelievably hard for me to live without him. The piece has a predominantly melancholy nature, countered by sections of cheery, dance-like passages, There is a clear folk-like quality throughout, and the final movement in particular contains tunes intended to evoke Jewish dance music. This section was most likely included to pay tribute as well to the painful suffering brought by the Nazis in Russia, as well as to comment on the shameful history of anti-Semitism. We're listening to a recording of the Eroica Trio.
We just heard the fourth and final movement of Piano Trio Number no. 2 by Dmitry Shostakovich. Again, a piano trio consists of piano, violin, and cello. That was a recording of the Eroica Trio. Shostakovich wrote this trio in memory of a close friend and colleague, Ivan Solertinsky, about whom Shostakovich said, I owe all my education to him. Next, let's have a brief classroom corner segment where we explore different methods and curricula for introducing young people to music. At the beginning of the episode, I talked about intervals of a third, basically playing what could be identified as notes one and three together. Three notes built on this spacing of a third is called a triad. Triads are a useful technical development tool for instruments that can play more than two notes at a time, namely the piano. But there is a technical exercise based on the idea of a broken triad, where each note is played separately, that is an arpeggio, Italian for harp-like, as a harp playing a triad would slightly play the notes separately, or broken, as we say. Arpeggios are a useful element to build technique on any instrument. Not only do they provide a practical introduction to music theory, that is, in helping the student develop a basic understanding of composition, many musical passages that the student will play are built on arpeggios. Practicing arpeggios as a technical exercise will make it so that when an arpeggiated section is encountered in the music, the correct fingering and hand position will come far more naturally to the student. For singers, arpeggios are useful to practice because they help develop pitch accuracy, conditioning the voice to becoming accustomed to commonly used intervals, those distances between pitches. In the case of stringed instruments, practicing arpeggios locks in intonation in a way that scales cannot, teaching the fingers about the subtle differences in these different musical spacings. They also help solidify the challenges of crossing strings with the bow, as well as the shifting of the left hand up and down and across the fingerboard. Now back to triads. These are a vital part and at the very foundation of any pianist's technical practice. Chords are the building blocks of music, so knowing how to play triads, including all of their inversions, is a vital part of rounding out one's ability as a pianist. And even for instruments that can't play triads but only arpeggios, knowing how these individual notes are grouped together as chords is extremely valuable for learning the grammar, if you will, and the common groupings and patterns of thirds associated with music. This has been Classroom Corner. You are listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. In today's episode, titled Music for Trios, we have explored the great trio repertoire of music history. We heard a trio of trumpets, a string trio consisting of violin, viola, and cello, the extensively used piano trio, violin, cello, and piano, and even a woodwind trio consisting of oboe, clarinet, and bassoon. We talked about the number three in the musical references of the Bible in our Sounds of Scripture, and we talked about the power of exercises built on intervals of a third in our classroom corner. Finally, let's have our dessert for today, where we hear some lighter classical fare or an example from the popular or folk tradition to end the program. There's a fantastic trio on the concert circuit today called Time for Three, consisting of two violins and a string bass. This trio once referred to itself as the first classically trained garage band, and it has received wide acclaim for their performances. Their original compositions and arrangements combine classical jazz, bluegrass, and gypsy elements. The ensemble has performed more than 1,000 concerts at diverse venues such as Carnegie Hall, jazz clubs, European festivals, NFL games, and the Indian. Annapolis 500. We're hearing a track called Banjo Love.
You have been listening to Music for Life, a production of KPCG 101.3 on the FM dial in Edmond, Oklahoma. From the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus, I'm Ryan Malone. Thanks for joining me.